another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't dictate it as always on my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is December 3rd. 2008. We are up to episode 103, and uh, we'll, we'll be sharing another 30 to 40 minutes together as friends. That's what I consider this show to be a conversation between friends as I make my morning commute. And uh, after yesterday's show, I got a lot of great feedback. I got a lot of emails, uh, a few comments, uh, a little bit of action on the forum talking about some of the things we talked about, but most of it came in emails. And what that tells me is there was an interest in what I did yesterday, that it was kind of going up back to the basics a little bit to some of the things we talked about about the beginning, and my belief that maybe we should do a part two of that show uh, today, uh, going into some other things was well-founded. There were a few things that came up from yesterday's show that I'd like to talk about. If you haven't heard yesterday's show, of course, you can go to the survivalpodcast.com and listen to it and uh, kind of get up to speed with things if you want to, maybe before you listen to the rest of this one. Uh, but one of the things I talked about yesterday, and I put it kind of low in the priority list, but low in the priority list of the things I talked about doing yesterday. That's important to understand because all of the things I talked about doing yesterday should be done almost concurrently. They should almost all be done. They they were all important things. They're all the things that basically got you into the status of at least being an ant. An ant is not done once he becomes an ant. He has a lot of work to do. He has to keep stocking up the nest for the coming winter. So when I put water low in that list, somebody took exception to it and made a comment on the forum. And I got a couple of emails from people telling me I'm crazy that water, you know, comes after food. You need water to survive and you don't need food to see anything. Go days without food, maybe two days without water. There's truth to that. Now here's, again, first of all, as I said yesterday toward the end of the broadcast, you have to set up your plan to fit your life, your wants, your needs, your desires, and your beliefs. All I can do is give you a guideline of all the things that you need to be thinking about, the eventual prioritization you have to do for yourself. But the other side of this thing with water is, I want you to think about this. I think water weighs about 8 pounds a gallon. And if I'm wrong, don't crucify me. It doesn't matter. It still weighs an awful lot. All right. Now, they also say that if you want to really prepare from a water standpoint, that the average person should have about 8 gallons of water a day. This is for washing clothes, bathing, eating, cooking, drinking, you name it. 8 gallons a day. Remember that. Now, four people at eight gallons a day in a typical family of four, 30-day month, you need about 1,900 gallons uh, for a 60-day supply, all right? About a thousand, just call it a thousand gallons a month, all right? Now, if you wanted to stock up 60 days worth of water, which is only two months, then you need about 38 50-gallon drums stacked in your backyard, all right? If you had to leave and you wanted to load those drums up, you'd be carrying around seven tons. It's not very portable. And if you live in suburbia, the odds that the water will stop flowing, okay, just you will turn on the faucet and water will not come out of it, are very low compared to, and again, 
got to listen to the whole statement compared to the other threats that are there for you. Continuing, unless you live somewhere where flooding is highly likely and sewage could be backed up into the water supply. It's the primary reason that people have lost water. All right. Now, if you want to challenge that, you look back at past the cross, across the last 100 years, 1908 to 2008, how many major blackouts have there been? Okay. Lots. How many times have we had fuel crises? How many times have there been major disease outbreaks? Flu pandemic alone, there was three. 1918, uh, 54, I think, and 63. Right. Collectively, those pandemics killed about three quarters of them, a million Americans or something like that. It was an insane number, and worldwide. Tens and tens of millions of people. The estimates are not even really clear. All right. How many times has water stopped flowing to sinks other than when there's been a hurricane or some other type of flooding event? Or the town's water tower was taken out by a tornado? And the answer is not very often. I don't really know that it's even happened. All right, That doesn't mean it can't happen. When you survival plan, you plan for the worst possible event. Yes, society breaks down. The shit has hit the fan. Cars are burning in the streets. Buildings are being looted. Roving. The worst case scenario. The water would probably still flow for a while. And even if it didn't, there's ways to get water if you have to. So when people say, well, how do I store water? Well, you store it in a water con- watertight container, and you get it from your faucet, and you store as much as you can within reason without expending massive amounts of resources. And the reason I put it below things like getting out of debt, getting your basic food supply up, and things like that are, one, there's an order of disaster preparation that you have to get straight in your head. And it starts with personal. The most likely disaster to occur in your life is personal. You have a loved one who dies or gets cancer and puts you to to bankruptcy and dies on top of that. You lose your job. Tree falls on your house. All right? So personal disaster doesn't necessarily affect the person who lives to your left or your right. Okay? From there, it's neighborhood. Isolated tornado wipes out your neighborhood. All right? Water is not going to be... My my sink. Right? You're not going to be staying in your house when it's flat anyway. And the rest of the town has water. Local. Okay, that's the next one. Regional. Now, local to me is like a town-wide disaster. What happened to Greensburg, Kansas, was a local disaster. It didn't really affect much of the outlying area. That whole, whole poor town, you know, last year, year before, got wiped out by a, a massive tornado. But the little towns around it really didn't. It was just kind of where that tornado hit, where it was populated. That was local. Regional would be something like there's, you know, uh, the beginnings of a pandemic and they locked out a portion of the state of Texas, you know, half the state. The next thing is statewide. All right, so the whole state is under some kind of disaster. From there, it goes to national. And from that, it goes to global. 
Now, anything short of something affecting the entire state or the nation is not likely to affect the water coming to your faucet. Alright? So, does that mean you ignore it? Does that mean you put it at, you know, somewhere way deep to the bottom of the list? No. Does that mean you don't make it concurrent with your other preps? No. But what it does mean is if I have $5,000 in cash, alright, or $5,000 in income that will be coming in over the next 60 days, and I'm going to invest it into my preparations, and I can either put in a well, or I can pay off $2,000 worth of debt, store up $2,000 worth of food, all right, put a new gun into the arsenal and pay for some basic training to make sure my spouse is comfortable using a firearm as well, that that's probably a better way to spend that $5,000 when I'm sitting in the middle of a suburban area with a very reliable water supply to my sink than putting in one well. That was my point yesterday. That's why I put it in that order. And again, you have to make your own decisions. You have to make your own plan. If, if I tell you what your plan is, you won't do it. You won't follow it because you won't believe in it and it won't matter to you. All right? So you have to make your own decision. In the end, I just want to challenge your thinking a little bit and make you really think about the fact that you do not have unlimited resources. And if you had unlimited resources, you would probably just hire a consultant to come in and set everything up for you, and you'd be sitting on 50 acres in the middle of the Ozarks with a little private helicopter to take you to town whenever you wanted to go. You'd have a water supply, full photoelectric system with uh, photovoltaic uh, solar system windmills. You'd have everything you needed. 50 head of cattle sitting out there for a meat supply, grass-fed beef, Right? That's where you would be if you had an unlimited resources. But you don't. So everything that you do, you now have to say, when I do this, then I don't do that. So if I spend $5,000 on the well, would I have perfectly good water... If you want to filter it or something like that, fine. I understand some city water supplies are kind of crappy. But as far as the, the, the basic needs for water, I can get by turning a nozzle. It comes to my house. My bill's $20, $30, $40 a month, depending on where you live and how much you use. Um, you, you really have to think before you spend that money on a well. That's all I'm saying. Now, when it comes to finding a remote location, um, water on the property should be high on the list of things that you're looking for. We'll get to that in a minute as we talk about. It's kind of like a phase two, like ratcheting up. Another thing I want to say as I go forward today is that... What I'm going to talk about today is in no particular order. I'm not putting today's stuff in a priority order because I think that you need to get all the things I said done yesterday done first before you move on to these things. Um, and as you do so, you're going to really have a lot of your own ideas about when, where, how, and what uh, as far as how you assemble these into a plan for yourself. And maybe tomorrow what we'll do is we'll talk about constructing a personal threat assessment, which is where you look at things like the economy, you look at things like your job and uh, how your company's doing, and you look at things like what's the current state of, uh, of uh, infectious diseases in the world, and wh what's the current state of military tensions in the world, and things like that, and you build a threat matrix. And you say, of all the things that could go wrong that could screw up my life, 
here's a list. Now let me put them in order. And that will help you with, you know, prioritizing what you do first. Because if the most likely thing, and this is how gun stuff gets, you know, people got upset about the gun comment yesterday. They, you know, you better make sure you have some food and, 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 and work on your debt a little bit and, and stuff like that before you worry about going out and buying a gun. I said, well, what if somebody comes and takes what you have? Well, what if you don't have anything to defend, right? So when you, when you, so you sit down and you build a threat matrix and you look at it and you go, my company's sales are down. Okay, we're entering an economic recession that is going to get worse before it gets better. There's rumblings going on at the plant that there may be layoffs soon. Right? And I've looked at the future orders, and they're in a tight spiraling decline. Your biggest personal threat is probably losing your job. And that doesn't involve a raving horde coming to your house to take away your food supply. It involves a lack of income. The worst thing you can have at that point in your life is a lot of debt. And the last thing you need to do is go buy a brand new shiny Glock, even though it's a matte dull finished Glock, with your Visa card. Now, I know this is a conversation and some of the guys that think that all the other stuff is cool. Like I talked about that yesterday with my show about spouses, getting spouses on board. That's cool. And that's fine. And it is cool. And I like it. But if you're serious about your survival planning, you need to know what your most imminent threat is. And you need to prepare in direct response of the order of likelihood. So the likelihood that an asteroid will come down from outer space, wipe out life as we know it, require you to dig a hole in the ground and live in a bunker for 12 months, is low. If you're in the scenario I just described, the likelihood that you may walk in right before Christmas and be told, we're sorry, but we're laying off 40% of the workforce, and you're a part of the 40%, is high. So the things you're doing to prepare should be more in line with preparing for that than preparing for the asteroid. Or preparing for Iran to all of a sudden go, oh, we have 87 nuclear weapons and we're shooting them all at, at the United States. Likelihood low, losing your job high. Biggest giant threat right now is pandemic flu. Absolutely. Is it going to happen this year? I don't think so. But the reality is it's a hell of a lot more likely than riots in the streets because of an unemployment rate that goes up another point. Or a stock market that goes down another thousand points. Or the complete devaluation of the dollar to zero. All right, Where you need $500,000 to buy a can of soup. Alright, can those things happen? Yes. Do you prepare for them? Yes. Where do you put them in your priority list? Put them down there. So, what are some other things that maybe, as you're becoming an ant, a fully mature, prepared ant, that you might want to look at doing? We've talked about this one a lot. Alternative energy. Alright. So, being able to start incorporating some level of photovoltaic system, wind power, um, even if you're just heating hot water. In, in a black plastic tank on your roof before it goes into your hot water heater. There are all kinds of ways that you can begin to incorporate alternative energy into your home. And every time you do that, you take a step toward independence. So I think it's a big step. It's also right now quite, still quite expensive to do, but as I did an earlier show on this year, 
there's a lot of tax incentives coming in January that are really going to spur the solar and wind markets. As that happens, production will ramp up and economy of scale will begin to suppress the prices. Additionally, the only good side of this recession is that right now we're not seeing, at least not yet, and I'm afraid we're going to, but right now we're not, so it may be something you can take advantage early into this thing, because this is a long-term thing. This is three to four years, this recession, at minimum. I believe that. If I'm wrong, I'll be happy. That's what I'm planning for. I suggest you do too. But right now, we've seen deflation, not inflation. Now, I don't think we can continue to do that. If you listen to the shows about the money supply, and you know how much money we've pumped into the economy, not just in our economy, across the world, we know we had to devalue everybody's currency, and inflation will have to catch up sooner or later. But early into next year, you may see the reduction in cost of alternative energy products con- coinciding with deflation. And you may be able to get some really good deals on some of this stuff. And right now, let's say you put in a $10,000 system. And I know some people don't have the money for that. right? But if you did and you wanted to put a $10,000 photovoltaic electrical solar system into your home, grid-tied, sell electricity back to the, the power company when you're not using it, that type of thing, uh, it would only cost you $7,000 because you get a $3,000 tax rebate. Not a tax deduction, a tax rebate, dollar for dollar. So it's a $7,000 cost to do a $10,000 system, and you're going to see companies competing for that $7,000. Actually, ten is what they get, so that's $10,000. So companies are going to be able to try to stack more and more capability, output, features into that $10,000 system. And that's going to be the target price. It's a $995 system. You're going to see a ton of that stuff come out next year. The other thing is improving the efficiency of your home so you use less electricity. If you're going to get alternative product, great. Because now it will do more for you. Because you have more insulation, radiant barriers, that type of thing. If you don't, you're still spending less money. And a big part of survivalism is creating cash reserves and reducing your cost of living. All right. So those are good things to do. Having some sort of backup lighting sources. This could be anything from candles and lanterns to, um, you know, LED lanterns are what are my primary backup lighting source. Uh, we have several of them. Some rely just on batteries. And we have a couple now of one that I posted a review on at the forum where you can crank them up so they don't need batteries to run, and they run on LEDs. LEDs are the way to go with any kind of backup lighting uses, batteries or some kind of mechanical apparatus, a crank or shaking, uh, because they're far more energy efficient. You might want to consider LED light bulbs in your home as the price of those come down uh, because they use so little. It's actually believed by a lot of construction uh, consulting firms that new home construction, when it ramps back up in the future, is going to revolve around a lot of electrical changes because LEDs are so power efficient that when you put them into existing electrical systems, they don't maximize their savings because they draw so little that the electrical system basically is dumping extra electricity. That's how efficient they are. So that's something you may really want to look at. Um, I believe that it's a good idea to train all your family members on the use of firearms. Yesterday we talked about getting some basic tactical training for yourself. Now, if you were in the military um, or have a law enforcement background or National Guard background, something like that, you may have already had some training. You may consider your training adequate. You still might want to consider going somewhere like tactical response or something like that or front sight and getting some really hardcore training. But even if your spouse and your children, as they become old enough, um, 
are not going to go into that level of training, it's not that important to them, then you're going to want to at least take them to the range, teach them basic gun safety, teach them not to be afraid of a firearm, yet respect it. And I'm going to tell you this, guys. I, I, I try to do some marriage counseling when I can. You want your woman to learn how to shoot a rifle, a shotgun, and a pistol, spend $300, $100 a piece on professional lessons, and let somebody teach her that she doesn't know. Even if that person knows less than you, she'll learn more from them. Because, again, I quote the, the truth wherever I find it. One great source of truth is the Bible. And in the Bible, Jesus at one time says, A prophet has no honor in his own country. Right? And this is not Jack from the pulpit, because I don't do that. But that is one of the truest statements in the world, and it can save you so much grief, man. So much grief. Could you tell your woman that she's picking her head up off the shotgun to watch the bird break, and that's why she's missing? She will not believe you. When you tell her that she does not have proper form, she's holding that handgun, she will not believe you. And when you tell her that she's laying her head too flat on the stock, and try and get her eyeball too close to the scope on the rifle, she will not believe you, because you're a prophet in your own country. You take her to a professional coach, even if he knows less than you, she will listen to every word he says, or she says, because there's female coaches too, some of them are damn good. Spend that money, it's well worth the investment, it'll make her... Or if you got a reverse relationship here, and you got a guy that's on a gun, a woman that is, and that does happen. There's one on the forum that said that that's the way it is. Or him. Enjoy marksmanship and shooting more. Because people enjoy things that they're good at. And your wife doesn't want you yelling at her while she's trying to learn to shoot a handgun that intimidates her. So let her learn basic skill sets from somebody that's, that's you know a professional teacher. And I think that'll go a long way toward making your house more secure. Right? If you're the tactical guy, you know how to use that Glock or that 1911 or whatever it is that you keep under the, the bed or in the nightstand or on your person, uh, or that shotgun that you keep in the closet or in your gun safe or wherever, uh, it's great. What if you're not there when something happens? What if you're not there and the person that you care about attempts to defend the home without proper training and ends up hurting themselves or shooting you because you came home early and you weren't expected? And they weren't taught, you know, things like, hey, you know what, if you're going to draw a gun at somebody in the dark, hit them with a tactical light before you pull the trigger. You don't know who it is. And you don't know if it's going to be a justifiable shooting. And you don't know if you're going to kill somebody you care about. So get training for everybody that might touch a firearm in your home. And with kids, I think that you start out teaching them how to shoot with a BB gun when they're about four or five years old. And you teach them to treat that BB gun like it's going to kill somebody. And by the time you put a twenty two in their hands, you'll have a very responsible young man or young woman. Those are my thoughts on that. I think that it makes sense for everybody to get some medical training. Uh, beyond just simple first aid and CPR, those are good things to learn, but to maybe take a few courses on some advanced first aid, advanced first responder things. Uh, there are a lot of states, and I remember Pennsylvania was this way, at least with high school students. At 16 as a high school student, 
when I was in Pennsylvania, I'm such an idiot that I never took advantage of this, because I just didn't think this way back when I was 16, like most dumb. Uh, if you were in high school, you could go take all the coursework to become an EMT, and I think there's three levels of an EMT, and again, if you if you know something I don't, don't get all upset with me, just you know, let me know in the comment section of the blog, maybe it's two, maybe it's four, I don't know, I thought it's three, but you could get the first level of emergency medical technician training absolutely free in the state of Pennsylvania back in 1989 when I was in high school. Okay, when I was graduating. So... That's something to look into, and a lot of community colleges teach kind of those first-level EMT courses, and they're very affordable. Now, not everybody needs to go out and become an EMT, but it is something that you can take advantage of. And I know a lot of states, a lot of cities, a lot of counties offer that type of training, that extra-level training, for either very low cost or free. It may make a lot of sense for somebody in the household, if not all the adults and older children, to take some level of training like that. All right. Now, it's not going to make you a paramedic. I've been told before when I mentioned EMT, I should mention that a paramedic is far more trained, has far more experience than any EMT. But it will make you more likely to be able to know what to do in a crisis situation where somebody is injured. I think that that's something you really should look at. You want to be a full-fledged ant. Uh, being able to take care of the sick ants is part of what ants do. If you ever watch any documentaries on ants, and call me weird, I do. When an ant gets sick, the other ants take care of it. Believe it, they don't just throw them aside, even though there's billions of them. When one ant in a, in a colony gets sick, the other ants try to take care of it. They feed their sisters, right, because all the workers are sisters in the ant world. All right? So feed your brothers and sisters in your household by learning how to take care of them if they get hurt, injured, or sick. One thing I've done quite a few shows on that I think is really worth considering is if you live in a city... And I won't talk too much about my, my personal life with this, but I do have a kind of a secondary place that I plan to eventually move to. So I've taken the buy your retreat, pay for it with your city job, and eventually have all your debt paid off, including your retreat, and then move there and be debt-free when you move in. That's one way to do it. Another way is simply to uh, save up, invest uh, well, save lots of money, do things, put sweat equity into your home, eventually sell your house so you can buy a property out in the country and move there. But I think for most people, there is a desire to not live in the middle of a major metropolitan area. That most people do that because that's where the money is. That's where the jobs are. Well, I think that more and more people are figuring out that a lot of administrative, managerial jobs, sales jobs, etc. can be done remotely so you can keep the, the high-paying job and move out into the country. Or they're going, you know, I'm 35, I've worked my ass off my whole life. Climb the corporate ladder to the middle or right under the top, maybe even the top. Maybe I'm even an entrepreneur in my own company. I make really good money, but I'm on an endless cycle of hell. I don't like my life anymore. I don't like being surrounded by people all the time. I'm not comfortable this way. I figured out something's wrong. This isn't how men and women are supposed to live, surrounded by concrete. They should be surrounded by trees and wildlife. And when they walk, they should be walking on grass or earth or dirt or leaves. This is not the way I want it to be. 
And I think that's why there's a lot of people right now going, you know, there are going to be jobs in the city anyway, for, for me anyway. I'm losing my job anyway. Maybe it's time to make that step backwards. So finding a retreat, be it uh, you know, a bug-out location that could be as simple as, you know, a travel trailer on a couple acres out in the middle of Timbuktu, or finding a permanent location to relocate to is something a lot of people really have a desire for. And if you have a desire for something, a strong desire for something, and it's not, you know, a desire for crack, right? It's not a desire for something that's going to be really negative and really impact you poorly and, and, and harm you or harm someone else. Uh, if you have a desire for it, try to figure out how you can get to it eventually. That doesn't mean you put it higher on your priority list, right? Oh, honey, Jack said if I have a desire for something, uh, I should get it. And I have a desire for a uh, kitted up AR-15, uh, $2,500, so I'm going to get... No, no, So what I'm saying. So if you have a real strong desire for something in your life, try to figure out how you can build the lifestyle that you want so that eventually you can acquire it. And if that is to get yourself out of the city, then by all means do it, because you are never, ever going to really be happy if that's what you want and you continue to live a life that you don't want. And that's a problem for so many people in America today. That's why a lot of people are attracted to the survivalist lifestyle. To some people, this is a little bit of a fantasy world of escape. Like, if the whole world crashed, then all this crap around me that I hate would go away. And then I could live the way I really want to live and I wouldn't have to be stuck in this hamster wheel. Dude, you're not a hamster. Get out of the wheel. Alright, you're not contained in the wheel. Figure out how to get out. So, finding that proper retreat makes a lot of sense. Alright? And anybody can do that if they want to. So, that's something that you really need to be looking into. And and, and listen to some of my shows about how to select a place that's right for you. I had a guy yesterday uh, that sent me an email. And it said basically, hey, I'm from Texas too. There's so many great places in Texas. And you can have anything from the desert to the forest, from mountains to valleys to flat, to the coast. Why did you choose Arkansas over Texas? Texas pride aside. I wrote him a pretty lengthy response, but you know what my response was? Basically was this. Hey, you know what? Find me five acres close to a reasonable sized town where I can still go do the things that I want to do and my wife can do the things that she wants to do and as long as society holds together we can take a trip to Walmart all right, in Texas find me this uh, with water on the property because I've got a creek down on the bottom side of the property and I need five acres I want it to be on a dirt road though uh, a dirt road that will allow me to put a gate across and keep everybody except myself and my half dozen neighbors the hell out All right, private road I need three bedrooms, two bathrooms, 1,800 square feet. And I want to buy that for $74,000 in the state of Texas. I haven't heard back from him yet. I hope I do because I wrote him a much longer response to that. And I was really trying to help him. But that was, that was my biggest point. I couldn't buy what I wanted in Texas for the price that I was willing to pay. Now you might be thinking, that's a hell of a deal. Folks, they're up there. That's not that hard to find. You'll have to look. You'll have to get your feet on the ground. You'll have to go in. You'll have to meet some agents. You'll have to do a little bit more than just look on Realtor. You'll have to be creative. You might have to sacrifice a few things. Fine. Um, but you can you can get that type of property in rural Arkansas, rural Missouri, and in many other parts of the country. I couldn't find it in Texas. And if I did find something remote enough in Texas to fit all of that, it would have never. It would have actually been further away from Dallas-Fort Worth 
the five hours that we're away right now, that was what my my wife wanted to be comfortable with being able to come back and see her family. So with retreat, more than anything else, you have to do what makes sense for you personally as an individual and as a family. All right. I'm sorry if I got a little bit distracted there. I have uh, people trying to merge in here around me. General hazards of uh, mobile podcasting going on right now. Um, another thing that I think you absolutely have to do with every member of your family, and, and guys, damn it, you, you know, some women are so damn annoying about this thing that you might have to get a professional to teach them to it. I don't know who you get to teach this, professional cartographer, I guess. But basic map reading. And there's men that are bad about this, too, but generally they're open and receptive to having it corrected. Some reason I've run into this with women. Folks, somebody even sent me a map last time I talked about this. It was a cave map, a map of a cave. They said, here's a cave map. North is not up in a cave map because they draw up in a cave map the direction that the cave runs because the cave is long. You know, It wouldn't make sense to make north up if the cave runs east to west. Right? Fine. When you're looking to get out of Dodge, you're not using a map of a cave. On a map of streets or a topographical map that shows mountains and passes and things like that, north is freaking up. All right, And you people that draw a map of how to get from your office to a place that you guys are meeting after work, and you draw a map where north is not up, anybody that knows where they're at, what direction north is, is looking at your map going, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I guess my point is here that every member of your family old enough to drive or move out on foot should have some training in basic map reading. Understanding how to read a map, how to plot a course, how to estimate distances, basic land navigation. And maybe not to the level that we did in the military where you're shooting azimuths with a compass and you're figuring out there's a landmark, there's a landmark. That means that with my two azimuths being this, that I can triangulate back and this is where I'm sitting. doesn't need to be that level. But damn it, you should be able to print out a map from Google Maps or MapQuest and use it without turn-by-turn directions to get from one city to the next so that they can get out of Dodge. So that if you get separated, you can tell your wife, hey, take evacuation route A. She doesn't start freaking out going, I know I said I don't get it. You, You see what I mean? You have to have that level of training. Being able to get from one point to another is extremely important. It's something you need to make part of your planning. I believe that eventually you should get to a point where you're keeping some level of small livestock. All right, and I think the best one for people to uh, to kind of take a first step with, and you can usually do this in most suburban environments, you check codes and stuff like that, but most places you can own a few chickens. And if you're worried about noise, you don't have a rooster. Chickens aren't that noisy. They can cluck, 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 but it's kind of a quiet, mild-mannered clucking. Um, And if you just have hens, two to four hens, you can get some eggs out of them every week. And that is a good support source of protein. And if the shit does hit the fan, you're going to need protein. And you can store a lot of grain for chickens, very, very cheap, and they can continue to provide you a good, high-quality source of protein for a long time without whacking their heads off and eating them for the protein. All right. So, and there's some other small livestock, and I won't go into a whole side note on that because, again, that could be a whole show. In fact, they did a show on it before. But you know, rabbits and, and there's other small stock you can keep. But chickens make the most sense if you don't want to kill what you're raising. You don't want to wait for it to grow up. You just want something that you know, once it's old enough and it's in the production, it keeps producing for you over and over again. Some hens, a little hen house, and they'll also produce chicken poop, which is one of the greatest sources of fertilizer in the world. 
control for your gardening efforts. So that's something else to definitely consider toward your whole, you know, graduation as a full-fledged hand. You know, and uh, little another little side note for you guys. A guy named Brian Gallimore, I think you got your name right this time, dude. Um, posted a thing on my episode 69, I think, and he was getting your spouse on board that episode. He let his wife listen to it. She listened to it, and uh, the first thing she said to him after she listened to it, and I think she's actually on board now with, with some of this, but was that he's a knucklehead. Because he's all into camping gear, guns, all the cool stuff. And, uh, folks, wanting that stuff doesn't make you a knucklehead. Even having that stuff relatively high on the priority list doesn't make you a knucklehead. When you try to get your wife on board, and you're bringing her content and context that is of minimal importance in her mind, you're a knucklehead, Brian, and everybody else, including myself, who's done it before. When you go and the first thing on your list is a brand new Glock, or a tent, or a camp stove, right? and you don't get good results, freaking duh, okay? Imagine that she wanted to go get a home equity loan. $20,000 borrowed against your house. She started telling you, hey, look, we can put in this kind of carpet. We can put in this wallpaper. We can put in this countertop. Redo the bathroom. Put this doily crap in. Right? Long term, you'll look at that and go, you know what? Women are the ones that make decisions about buying houses. This is all good stuff for the house. Right? But short term, you're like, Man, I don't want $20,000 worth of debt for this crap, and there's a good case for not doing it. I'm trying to make an analogy here that'll bring you guys across the finish line with me and really get this. She comes to you with the same thing. We're going to borrow $20,000, and yeah, she wants to do all that crap, but she's also put in money to extend your deck and build an outdoor kitchen with a really kick-ass grill. Right, a little refrigerator built in for for beer. She says, "This is I'm going to start. Here's all the things that we can do with this money that'll improve our house, make the resale value better. I've researched it all. First thing I think we should do is this. What's in it for you? Get a little man cave area outside. Now you're receptive. Now, oh yeah, you know countertops. People are really looking at that now, and the market's kind of declined. And if we do sell this house anytime, we we need to really because painting. Yeah, you know the walls could use that. But you know what, honey? Why don't we save some of that money? I'll do that myself. But yeah, I think we should do the painting. We could buy the paint. Uh, maybe that'll reduce what we uh, to, to doing the carpet. Yeah, the carpet shot. Let's go right now, son. You're on board. You're receptive. You're looking at the whole plan. You're evaluating. It. You may decide you still don't want to do it. It doesn't make sense right now. Borrowing money against the home right now, I can see where you come to that conclusion. But, you're receptive. You're listening. You're paying attention. Because she didn't start out with doilies and paint swatches. She started out with something that mattered to you. So all I'm saying is start out what matters to her. Finishing up, some of the cool things that, yes, you do need to be considering is, one, an alternative method of cooking, which could be simply a gas grill. And I have a gas grill, and I have four propane tanks. And when one's empty, it gets full. So there's never less than three full tanks of propane available for my grill. We could cook a long time with that. You know, and, and Brian mentioned camping gear. So, like, yeah, camp stove, little camp stove, a few of those little portable cans of propane, something like that. Go and camp it once in a while. 
and, and using this stuff so that you're familiar with it, so you're not sitting there reading instructions trying to screw it together, you know, and, and make and no, not having any idea how long it takes for this thing to boil water or all these other things. Or maybe you realize, hey, this takes a long time to boil water. I need to conserve my heat. I'll put my pan of water out and I'll let it warm up because it's 90 degrees outside before I put it on the, the stove. That'll reduce, you know, all these things you'll learn by actually using this stuff. So all the cool stuff, camping gear, stoves, different ways to cook, uh, tactical gear, all this stuff, guns, yes, reloading equipment. I had a guy ask me yesterday, well, I'm really afraid that Obama is going to have a negative impact on firearms ownership. Yeah, me too, buddy. So, yeah, this may be a time to ratchet up. But, you know, my view is that most people that listen to this show that want a firearm and live in a country that will allow it own one or two or three or four. And if you own three or four guns and you have no food stored, again, go back to basics, what it's most likely to happen. All right. So all that other stuff, definitely make it part of your plan. It'll make your plan exciting. Maybe seed some of it. Like, once I get phase one complete, I get to go out and buy a Lee Anniversary reloading kit and a set of dice for 223 and 308. All right? And some components. Then I'm going to go to phase two, and when I get that done, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy this camp stove that I really want, or whatever ever gadget, GPS, all these other things that, that guys really think are cool and dig. Right? So seed them throughout your plan to motivate you. But keep in mind, your biggest threats are personal. And that's what the plan for. If you do that, you'll begin to construct a lifestyle that makes more sense. And you'll get yourself into a position where all the things that you want, you can actually have. And I guess that's my biggest message today. If you build the lifestyle of a modern survivalist, one of self-sufficiency, one of eliminating debt, one of not overspending, one of not making shopping a pastime, one of saving, being smart with your money, not doing a whole bunch of risky investments, not taking 100% of your savings and tax deferring it into a IRA, putting some savings away that are liquid that you can get your hands on, and continuing to build that pile as well, um, ensuring yourself so if something catastrophic happens, that there's something to step in and take care of that. Eventually, if you live that lifestyle long enough, when you want something because it's cool, and it may be useful, but you really want it because it's something you want, you'll be able to go buy it. And what that tells us men, right, is that the way that women view this stuff when you get them on board about, hey, you know, let's take care of the home, and let's take care of the kids, and then let's take care of our money, and then we can talk about these other things. They're better at it than we are if you get them on board. The most valuable asset a modern survivalist man can have is a modern survivalist female working with him. Because she'll bring order to chaos that is the male mind. She will bring compassion to the warlike instinct that is part of the male mind and the male psyche. And she will bring logic and order to the, all the things that need to be done in helping you put them into priorities. And the reason is, they have the nesting instinct that we don't, guys. We go out, we club something, and we kill it, they stay home and take care of kids. And then, this is not a commentary, women. Don't get upset with me. This is not a commentary on you know women not being in the workplace. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about, if you ask a guy... Would you consider a perfect evening sitting at home with a newborn baby, changing his diapers, taking care of him? You know, guys might actually like to do that with their own kid a little bit, but it's not really a perfect evening. But you think a woman and put her in that situation, and most women would have, it's just heaven to them. It's what they're meant for, right? Men don't breastfeed, I'll put it to you that way. 
women have it. Men don't carry babies in their stomachs. They don't have that nurturing, homebound instinct. Take care of the home first. That's why, and it's not that one's better than the other. It's that we are made differently, and we're designed to fit together. And we're designed to compensate for each other. So maybe this is a little bit of relationship counseling mixed in with a survival podcast. But survival is about making it through. And if you make it through alone, you haven't really survived. If your family's important to you, then as much as staying alive is important to you, survival's about keeping your family together and keeping your family safe and helping them live the life that they really want. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.